So welcome to A Slice of Orange. Today I'm talking with Carrie Buck, who's running for Lysantia Belinda Unified School District, District 5, because now we have districts. So welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit before we talk about this election. Let's talk about just how you got elected to begin with, what motivated you to be on the school board, what that kind of looks like prior to 2020. And then, and then we'll talk in stages of how this board has changed. So I first was elected in 2010. I chose to run because this the same year, 2010, uh, there was a, a chance that the school district and the board was going to close down an elementary school, which happened to be the one that my children were at. And I was so upset about that. All of our parents were very upset about that. Um, I was heavily involved in PTA at the time. And We went and we spoke at the board meeting and we stopped it from going forward. It was a small cost savings at the end of the recession. So um, everything was being considered. But fortunately, we were able to stop that from going forward. I had been working in the district as a special ed aide uh, for the last two and a half years leading up to that and worked in eight of the different schools, eight or nine of the different schools. And I had a really good understanding of what was happening in the class uh, and in classes from kindergarten all the way up to high school. So I had a a good understanding. I also grew up with two parents that are educators and special educators. So at the dinner table every night, we always talked about or they always talked about school and education, my parents, friends, um, everybody that I was surrounded with were educators. So it is kind of just embedded in what I what I know. Um, And I've always been someone that focuses on children. I started babysitting young and have always been around kids from Girl Scouts to uh, various leadership opportunities. And even now as a director of a homeless shelter for families. Yeah. And and so you've been on the board for a long time, which gives you an, an amazing perspective and institutional history. And, you know, we often talk in education that everything new is old. Um, that things just keep coming back in different packaging. And so we'll talk about declining enrollment and and kind of that experience of what you've had from the, the thought of closing a school. But but I want to go kind of in order. So, you know, boards are, are never a utopia. You want differences of opinion. You want um, debate. You want different perspectives. So how did this board that's been in the news so much in the last two years Um, How did it function before the election of 2020? Before the election of 2020, when I started on the board, I didn't know anybody um, that was already a current board member. So we got to know each other a little bit. um, And I went through classes, uh, master's in governance classes that really taught about various areas in schools that you should know about from curriculum to negotiations um, all of those things. So I really was a, a an education um, in all of the fine details. And all of my other board members had been through that same process too. Most of them, actually all of them, had some sort of education background or experience teaching mm-hmm. something. Um, so, and we all focused on students and children. Um, so no matter what, sometimes we would not agree completely um, or at all, but we were always focused on kids and we always took care of things that were in our purview. Um, 
that's changed in the last couple of years. They're um, obviously with vaccines and COVID and mandates of masks and all that. There's a lot that has been um, required of us as school districts that we have no control over. But right. it also was a very, um, it's something that impacted every student. And so parents and teachers and everybody, students were very upset about everything in the world, just like all of us. All of us were, right? The, the, yeah, the pandemic. So, so we've got two different things that are that are influencing the change in Placentia or Belinda. And, and the first, of course, is the pandemic that, that just throws all of us into unprecedented times, uh, you know, out, out of our control, the, the, the metaphors of a roller coaster or whitewater rapids, just the, the, the feeling of really not knowing what the next day was going to come. And, and, and for K through 12 or pre-K through 12, it really was on the front lines of changing just so much and, and not knowing what to expect. And, and that had to have been really hard as a school board because you, you didn't have training in that. You didn't have institutional memory for that. You didn't have a, a, even a guidebook to how to navigate through this global pandemic with, with mandates and all of that. And so how did you feel that before the election in, in November of 2020, how did you feel that the board had handled that? And clearly, you know, I, I, all of us were dealing without a guidebook? None of us had a guidebook, but we are a very um, communicative and collaborative county. And I'm on, and actually at the time I was the president of the Orange County School Board Association as well. Um, so we all talked all the time. And the superintendents all got together on a weekly call with Dr. Chow, who is um, from the healthcare agency um, and, and helped us guide through. It's almost I mean, it really is a, a something that we never expected and hopefully never experience again. It's it's like a major earthquake. It's an it's an yeah. emergency that happens immediately and you don't have time to prep for it. You just look at the smaller emergencies that you've had and how do we develop from there? And you look for ex- experts and resources to figure mm-hmm. out the best way forward. Um, and no matter what, safety first, protecting our students, protecting our teachers, protecting our families. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the most important. And once we could get a handle on that piece of it, then you can move forward. But but safety is always number one and you, you can't do anything without that. Right, right. So then we've got district-based elections introduced to Placentia or Belinda, like we've seen um, you know, cr- across our state. Uh, and, and that changes the dynamics of the elections. So instead of running for the entire district, um, now candidates are running in smaller districts. You're in District 5 on the ballot this time. And in 2020, there were three. Um, and, and, you know, political scientists are talking about, like, is it the best idea to have people who are winning with only a plurality of the vote, that they don't have a mandate, they don't have a majority of the vote because there might be three or four or five or more candidates on the ballot, and it's just the person who's winning the most. And so in 2020, we saw three of these districts on the ballot, and each of them won with just a plurality, you know, and in some cases, just a third of the voters selecting them. Um, and, and what we end up with is, um, you know, board members, new board members that have not served, who don't come from a background of education, and things really start to 
hit the media, we start hearing about it. You clearly knew about it before serving on the board, but all of a sudden Orange County Register and the Voice of OC start covering these stories. I start hearing from students that, that are being affected in the high school from some of these decisions. So you can talk about a little bit about about how those three new board members affected the the, the board um, for Placentia or Belinda. Well, prior to the the areas now that we're divided up into, I, I see the value in it. I see the reason why it was um, people look to that as a way to have people's voices heard. And it does connect areas that most likely are not represented. Um, in that particular area. But what it's done now is just divide up our whole district. Um, you don't get to vote for school board members every every time. You have to wait right. four years before you do that. And and the people that are on the board impact impact you and you don't get to vote for it. So it's it really is challenging. Um, in the last election where we had three of our board members um, replaced, two of them were already retiring. So we knew that was happening. Mm-hmm. And with the pandemic and not being able to go out and knock on doors, or at least some of us chose to not walk on and knock on doors, um, it, it really did change the whole dynamic. We knew it was going to change anyway, um, but we were hoping that people would be focusing on students and education. Um, it feels like it's not necessarily that. It, it feels the last couple of years have been very um, divisive. How can we, what I want to do is move forward and, and make sure that we're addressing the needs of all of our students. And what's happened is the the national stories and the national um, discussion has become what's happening in our district. And it's not what's happening in our district. Those national hot button stories are happening around the country. But when people are assuming it's happening right in our school district, it's just caused even more uh, confusion and upset. And and we're not, not all of us are on the same page and we're not all explaining it the same way. Yeah. And, and, and. Before we talk about the national conversation, because I think that's a really good point, I, I think one of the other things that we sometimes forget is that, you know, not only were candidates not knocking on doors, but we weren't having candidate forums in the same way. We weren't having a lot of events, you know, usually during election season. I run into a lot of people um, and we just have conversations that weren't possible during Zoom, weren't possible in remote settings. Um, and I think there might have been more discussion about who are the people running and um, talking about candidates a little bit more. We weren't even kind of driving around to see yard signs in the same way. Um, so that that election really did fundamentally um, eliminate a lot of indicators for voters of who to support and what might be some warning signs. Um, so yeah, I think I think that time sometimes fades in our memory of how different that election was for so many candidates. So, so to talk about the national, um, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the just vitriolic public comments that came um, with the public being so angry and kind of not knowing where to go when they were showing up to meetings. Um, we were getting Zoom bombers at the time, um, certainly public elections, uh, public meetings were being interrupted. Um, and, and also this debate over critical race theory, 
which has just been, you know, manipulated for those, for those listeners who haven't really paid attention to this. It's a, it's a legal theory that, that, that I had never heard of prior to it becoming the boogeyman and almost a, you know, a, a, a name that seems more threatening than what they're really attacking, which is ethnic studies. What they're really attacking is a true, you know, discussion of history and representation. And, and I think that has become this boogeyman of critical race theory, which is usually taught in law school. Um, and, and, and so clearly it's being manipulated by national forces. It's clearly being used as a scare tactic. And that really came home to roost, not just um, at our Orange County Board of Education that we've talked about on this podcast, but also a, a, as a case study of, of what could happen at Placentia or Belinda. Um, and, and so how was it to be in the middle of that um, where suddenly everything in your conversations on the board have changed? Well, I had never heard of critical race theory either. Um, I'm not an, a, an attorney, so that never came up as a subject that I ever studied. Um, I actually went to Cal State Fullerton, Fullerton College, um, and that was not anything that was a factor. Um, what the state has required is an ethnic studies class. Mm-hmm. And so we were moving forward with that. Um, the, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on what critical race theory is still, even though we try to define it as much as we can and explain it and try to get to the the same understanding. But when we're fundamentally thinking it's two different things, it's almost impossible um, to to really dig into what, what critical race theory is and how to eliminate it or add it or whatever it is. Um, And so we did pass a resolution to um, to eliminate or to block any or ban any critical race theory, which never was taught in K-12 anyway. Um, and I know I go around and I visit every school, every class, and I've been doing that for the last 12 years. I haven't seen anything like that. Um, but still, it's the conversation and the national conversation that came up during the pandemic and really frightened everybody. Um, what we have done is uh, we have approved an ethnic studies class right after critical race theory, um, our resolution to ban that. Um, we have a really great process in our district to, to evaluate curriculum and to bring it in. We have a panel of experts, teachers, administrators, people that are experts in the field, and we work through it and they develop it. They bring it to the board. We open it for 30 days for review for everybody in the community to have comments And then it comes back and we approve it. And we actually did approve it. Not very long, just a few meetings after our ban on CRT. Mm -hmm. So um, I I think it's more of a fear. I definitely think it's a fear and it's it's made to be a fear that we're going to treat children differently and treat them badly. And I teachers don't go into the field so that they can can treat children badly. Um, Right. It's completely the opposite. They go out of their way to make sure that the needs of all of our kids are being addressed. I'm really proud of our multi-ethnic studies class. Um, It starts this year. So we have some students that are taking it. And it was approved five to zero on our board. Um, There were very few comments. And we all thought it was a really well done piece Mm -hmm. of curriculum. That's the way you do it. I, I really am... 
I don't think we should ban things. I think we should set up um, our structure of what we will do. And, yeah. and that's what we did. And, and, and the process that you're talking about, which is that, that the teachers are, are really developing the curriculum from the state guidelines, um, is what's supposed to happen. Um, and, and the board is not supposed to be mandating, you know, the scripts that are taught in the classes. Um, they're supposed to be developing and, and improving policy, supposed to be approving what, what is coming from the schools themselves. And, and so one of the reasons that I think there was so much media attention and, 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 and fear about the ban is because it was so overtly broad. And, and it seemed like it was going to ban any discussion of race. It was going to ban any discussion. It wasn't particularly well written either, which was problematic in that, you know, how, how do you then enforce a ban? What are the teachers supposed to think? What is the punishment if a teacher violates this by talking about the Civil War, talking a, about, you know, the Trail of Tears and the treatment of Indigenous people, a fourth grade class that wants to talk about the mission system? Um, so it was it was really concerning to those of us who were outside of those meetings, and clearly that fear came in with public comments. So what are you seeing from the parents on both sides of those fears about what is being taught and what is being banned? How have public comments changed in, in the last couple of years? Um, it's so funny. We used to have board meetings where nobody would attend, and we would have maybe a few teachers or actually not even that, a few administrators that were required to be there. And it was the business of the board. And with the exception of having students come in or an end of year teachers retiring, those kind of celebrations we have during the board meeting, it was pretty boring. The last couple of years with public comment, clearly parents are way more engaged, which is fabulous. I think they should be. but there's a lot of misunderstanding and the difficulty is when you have public comment, people can say anything they want. They can ask any questions they want. They can say things that may or may not be accurate. Right. But the board members can't get into that dialogue because it's not an agendized item. Yeah. So if that subject comes up and we start talking about it, then we potentially violate the Brown Act. So we have to sit there and just listen and then provide information on the back end from the superintendent and and to get it out into the community what the reality is um and that can be really frustrating for the public who don't know the california state law they don't know the brown act they don't know those you know restrictions on what you're you're not allowed to engage it's not a free-for-all it's not a town hall meeting and i think it can be really frustrating when people are finally paying attention and then to not know that so I'm sure that that's also part of the reactions you were getting. Oh, yeah, completely. Um, they want to know and they want to know right now what we're doing. And because we can't talk about it, it seems like it's um, either hidden or silent. Um, and, and people will pay attention to board meetings, but not necessarily pay attention to the other conversation we're having between board meetings. And that's where we can get right. some of that real you know, things that we're doing specifically out um, and they just don't know. So it, it's it takes so much more time to to change things, to get information out because of that. Which I totally and I believe a hundred percent. You, it we have open meetings for a reason. We people right. in our community right. need to know what we're doing. Um, yes. 
just, but unfortunately we have meetings once a month. And so between meetings, they just, it's just unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, you, you said like, you know, finally parents are engaged, but not necessarily for the right reasons. And, and I feel that way. I've, you know, I've been talking about paying attention to local politics and local government for 20 years. And suddenly in 2020, everybody paid attention for the wrong reasons for what the Orange County think, Board of Education was doing. Yeah. And, and certainly for the pandemic, people were paying attention for the right reasons of, of wanting to have input on that. But the, the, the fear that really motivated angry people to show up to board meetings was concerning for me. Um, and, you know, we, we want people to serve in these positions. We want people to run. We want people to, to be engaged. But I think when the cost is, you know, being screamed at and, and worrying for, for your safety, I think that that takes it too far. Um, and so how do you feel like things are now um, as far as the, the, the energy of the meetings, the, the kind of atmosphere of the meetings? Um, and well. Our meetings are pretty much still the same. Uh, they aren't. Uh, it, it, the last couple of years, it's it's been very vocal. Um, I, I wish people would uh, come to the meeting to try to build an understanding and to communicate. Um, there have it it becomes very divisive in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be scary at, at first for some people. Um, it's gotten, I think, a little better because we understand how to control a meeting more and, and still move forward with our practices and allow people, anybody to give public comment. Um, but we talk about a civility policy every time and making sure that we're being kind to others around us, even though we disagree. Yeah, uh, That doesn't always happen, but that's what the goal is um, because we want everybody to be heard, every single right. person to be heard. And we make the opportunity for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. And so these three relatively new um, uh, uh, board members are not on the ballot this time. Marilyn Anderson and Leandra Blades and Sean Youngblood will be on the ballot in two years. So our, our, you know, our more um, experienced uh, trustees who have been there, you, Carrie Buck and Karen Freeman are on the ballot and, and you have challengers. Um, who are probably more in line with the current majority. And what we saw in the Orange County Board of Education, when they have gone now to a unanimous board where there is no dissent to sue the governor to, you know, approve classical uh, 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 charter schools that are affiliated with the Hillsdale uh, College, um, they're not going to make the news as much as when there are, you know, minority majority votes. And so, if you and Karen are both replaced by extremists, what does that do to the board? What is the importance, I think, uh, of, of voters actually engaging in this election and understanding that there's a clear choice? There's a clear choice in the direction of the board. Um, and, and you represent one direction and your opponent represents another. Yes, <sighs> What's going to happen if Karen and I don't win or either one of us? Um, it definitely will change the direction of the district. We are really trying to make sure that we're sticking with public education and making sure that all students are represented. Um, I The two candidates that are running against us are running as conservative Christians, um, which 
you know, great. But in a school district, a public school district, um, the religious piece isn't supposed to factor in. And we know that that will happen immediately. Um, that will come in. Um, I am not opposed to charter schools at all. I, there are some great charter schools. Um, I've even taken some of our staff members there to look at um, some in LA that we, I thought we would be, we should model. Sure. Um, and what I am opposed to is a charter school that is run by a family member of our Orange County Board of Ed, approved by our Orange County Board mm-hmm. of Ed, that will have no oversight by our particular board. Right. They will be able to come in. Um, and it's already been approved. It's just a matter of time. Um, they didn't come to our board and get approval how it typically used to be. This was the first time that a, um, an, a charter school had gone to just usurped us and gone to the county and got a county approval. So we have no say one way right. or the other. Right. Um, and, and that is happening that all over the county. And I, right. And, and that's happening. They're bypassing local governance. And, and for conservatives who always preach about local governance and, and wanting those decisions to be made by the community, this is bypassing. This is forum shopping. This is going to uh, uh, the Orange County Board of Education to approve charters that would not pass muster. And and I think, like you said, you know, like who doesn't love OSHA, the School of the Arts? That's a charter school. And and it's incredible. And, and to have something like that, that is a magnet school that offers something that our traditional schools don't is something we all want. We just want them to follow the, the provisions of public education. And it's not charter versus public. It's it's really following the rules and, and regulations of being approved in the same way that curriculum is being approved by the board, going through those steps to make sure that everything is fair. And, and I think you're right, avoiding the cronyism and nepotism um, that we're seeing in the classical uh, charter academy. So, yeah, go ahead. This charter, if, if this one were to, um, well, when it comes in, um, they can, they come in and they say, well, we have, you know, 40 students that have signed up. We need to have this classroom and this classroom and in this school, and we actually have to vacate. Um, we, we provide facilities, we provide the funding. Um, they're not going to be hiring our teachers. So we're going right. to have to let, um, to take our teachers out. And, um, but then again, we have no oversight. We have parents that are coming to our board yelling and, um, are very upset that, that we're approving things or things that are happening in our school right. district. We have zero say when that comes right. in. So right. to just say, sure, you know, that's acceptable when we know that our parents now are upset, what's going to happen when we say, well, sorry, we can't right. do anything about it because that's right. a charter school. You have to go talk to them. That's going to Correct. create a, whole, a lot of problems as well. Right. Right. And, and, and we're seeing that already with the charter school that wasn't able to open the classical Academy that wasn't able to open because they hadn't gone through the procedures and they were you know, asking parents to just schlep their kids down to Irvine to, to be in a church because the school wasn't open. Massive bureaucratic problems, massive problems of operations. And it's all been approved by our Orange County Board of Education because this divisive polarizing politics has come to our county. And I think most people aren't paying attention. And I think that's yeah. what worries me most is that it's too late. 
after the election. It's really important to ring the sounding bell now. And so I, I guess one of the questions I have is what can, what can voters do? Um, they, they, they can't, you know, undo the charters that are being approved at the county level. Um, but certainly it's important to, you know, make sure that they support public education in every way that they can. Yes. What they should do is research the Orange County Classical Academy. Um, yeah. If they want to send their students there, great. They can actually go there now. They can re- they can take their kids and 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 um, enroll them in the Charter Academy, uh, and and we actually even pay for it. Um, it yeah. comes out of our bottom line. We pay for that now. Um, they can do that if that's their the choice. I mean, that is absolutely acceptable. Um, but, but before they do that, they should really look at our schools. We have done an amazing job and have worked incredibly hard to provide choices for all kids across our district, from the academies that we have in digital media arts and teaching and hospitality, manufacturing, engineering, health sciences. You can't get that at a small classical academy or a charter school that only has a few hundred people. You can only do that when you're talking about 23,000 students where we have the ability to pull some of those funds together and create those specific opportunities. When I started on the board, students weren't even allowed in our district to do inter-district transfers unless it was highly needed. Um, I worked really hard to make sure that our kids could go to any school they wanted. Um, And I have, my children actually got to do that. Um, I have three daughters and my youngest one is still in high school, but all three of them, they, between all of them, they went to uh, nine different schools, um, four different wow. high schools. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it just kind of fit their mold and what their interests were. And it was yeah. an easy, an easy choice to make to go to various schools based on what they want. Right. So before right. parents, um, parents should really investigate what we have as options. And if it's not a fit for them, then they can choose yeah. something else. Yeah, absolutely. So so it seems from the outside, again, it seems like there's just so much divisiveness and so much negative energy. What has that done to your staff in schools? I've talked to a number of teachers who, you know, are really worried about what's to come from the board and what kind of instructions, you know, the, there's a national conversation about how um, social emotional learning is terrible and awful because it's indoctrinating kids. And we look at this mental health crisis that is that is happening and the schools have responded with, with a real dedication to social and emotional learning and mental health attention. And, and the teachers that I've talked to across the board are worried that these divisive boards are going to limit their ability to check in and, and prevent suicide. Um, so, so what has that done to your staff and students? You had a tragic death by suicide by administrator. You've had the superintendent leave. And, and, and obviously nobody's you know, blaming the, the public comments or the board's actions for that. But clearly there's, there's tension and stress um, when the board is is so divisive. Yeah, it, it has had quite a big impact. Um, there are the, um, our administrators have, um, the turnover in our administrators has been astounding. Um, yeah. Our turnover in teachers has been a little bit less, 
But um, when you look at the early retirements or retiring um, yeah. and, and, and younger teachers that stay for a couple of years and leave, um, mm-hmm. it really is that middle bunch where they're, um, they're kind of stuck um, right. and worried, but it will impact their retirement or, or their it, transferring in the middle of a career sure. in public sure. education is challenging when you look at your benefits right. at the end. Right. So people stay. Um, we right now, uh, don't have a shortage of teachers, but we have a huge shortage of special ed aides in some of our classified areas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not unusual for anyone really sure. in orange County. Um, but I, and I don't know the comparison of how many administrators or teachers have changed in the other district, but I can tell you here, um, we have had, um, teachers and administrators stay for their careers, um, they they grew up in this district. They mm-hmm. went to our schools. They went to went to get their teaching credentials. They came back. They teach in our schools. They're our community members. They're they're our yeah. parents. Yeah. Um, and 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 I know a lot of them. I mean, having kids that were in that many different schools, I know a lot of teachers that my kids had working in six of the school districts. I you know I've I've met a lot of them. Right. They're, the turnover is astounding and. And they're worried. They don't know. They don't know if they're going to get in trouble for what they're teaching now. Right. Um, they uh, they don't know what's coming next. They're worried about what this election is going to bring. Um, we've always been a destination district. People wanted to be here. Um, right. And now um, it's not so much the destination. Now we're seeing a lot of people leave. Yeah. And going to other districts. And, and that's really sad. We were right. um, one of the top districts in the county. And I'm incredibly proud of that. And yeah. And, and it has a rippling like effect. There right. And oh, it yeah. has a rippling effect that, you know, not, it's not just teachers who you're going to lose in recruitment um, because they Google Placentia or Belinda School District. We're losing families that are moving. You're, you're going to lose families, real, you know, realtors are going to lose house sales. Uh, Those who want to sell their house are going to find it less competitive because schools really drive that for so many people. And, you know, when, when I'm reading something that says the the college board may restrict AP use, if the ban actually goes through that, the the early iteration where where it was just so poorly written that it seemed like you weren't going to be able to teach the civil war and the college board is like, well, you can't have an AP class that doesn't cover race. you know, I, I knew a couple of real estate um, agents who were like, I'm not going to be able to sell a house in Placentia or Yorba Linda if their high schools don't have AP classes. That's just going to eliminate those house sales for anybody who has kids. And so it has a huge impact. The schools are, are such a part of the community. They're such a part of of all of those other decisions that are made about the community and how people view themselves. Um, so I think these decisions are really, really crucial, and they go way beyond just whether or not, um, you know, the the audience is applauding somebody's bombastic statement on the dais. Um, so, so let's talk positively. What do you hope to accomplish if you're reelected? Um, if I'm reelected, I'm going to be the voice for students, as I always have been. I'm going to make sure that um, that that they're heard as much as possible. We had a lot of students come to our board meetings in the last couple of years and speak. Um, some 
I, I don't know if they were, they felt heard. Um, a lot of them didn't. So I'll continue to, to be that voice for them. Um, I will be the voice for our parents that are upset. I'm going to be the voice for our teachers. Um, I really would like to get through the next couple of years and see what happens after that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, this will determine what happens with the rest of our school district um, for, right. for the next, I, I don't, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I am here and I always have been to make sure that every child is taken care of and yeah. that has the best opportunity and to do whatever they want to do when they, when they grow up. Um, yeah. I, I do that in my job now as a, as a shelter provider with families. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's about building them up so they can have choices so that they have a successful life and a happy life, whatever they choose to do. And yeah. we are here, we are here to support that decision for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how important is it that people vote for both you and Karen Freeman? Um, it's incredibly important right now. Um, we have a split board, as you know, and um, that will. The voices of parents will be heard. Um, I'm not sure if the voices of students and the voices of teachers will also be heard. And mm -hmm. all three of those are incredibly important. Um, yeah. Right now, it seems very driven by a, a set of parents that are in our district. And it needs to be, um, a, yeah. our district needs to be representative of every household. Right, right. We often talk about, you know, you can't make policy based on the loudest voices um, and the angriest voices. And and what, what a good board member does is listen to all sides. And so and make a decision um, that is that may not be um, that may not be a decision that everybody loves. You're never going to make everybody happy. That's why you have to, to right. focus on the students. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we talk about that a lot. The easy decisions never get to the board. Right. They're, they're already made in the classroom. They're already made at the, the principal's office. They're already made in the superintendent's office. It, it, it's not easy decisions that, that are coming before the, the, the school board. It's decisions that are, are changing the direction and, and, and making policy for the direction of, of where the school board goes. So, yeah, absolutely. I think the next couple of years is going to be really important with, um, with mental health. And making sure that we're we're addressing the needs for of all of our kids, um, mental health. It's been a challenge. Things are get, are better, um, so we need to continue to build that and and help people recover from the trauma that was COVID nineteen, right. um, right. and it was incredibly traumatic to all of us um, right. in a, in various stages. So we need to be there to address those needs. Um, we also need to. We talk about learning loss, but I don't really like the term learning loss. It's it, we're just pivoting, and and we have have changed what we're doing. Our direction right. has changed. Um, right. We're we're doing we're not doing the same education we were doing before. I mean, our teachers changed on a dime, right? Um, and completely shifted how they they had they they gave instruction, um, and and so we need to utilize that. How can right. we build on that? Build on right. what we had before and make and make public schools um, even better than they were. I mean, we yeah, have to absolutely. learn from, from the good. We have, yeah, we have to take some good lessons 
from that. And I, and I think that that's really, um, it's a hopeful uh, lesson to, to try to take the good out of a, a, an awful situation. So, well, good luck on I the campaign be, trail. Thank you. I tend to be an optimist. So I think that, um, that that is possible. Yeah, good. Well, thank you so much and good luck. Thank you, Jody. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the interview. So as always, thanks for listening. I couldn't do this podcast without you. A special shout out to my favorite listener, my mom, Peggy Jenkin, who listens to this podcast, even though she lives in Turlock, California and doesn't get to vote for 90, 95% of the people I talk to. Um, my executive producer, Ann Watka, who spent years talking me into this. Uh, a huge thanks to the producing team who makes this possible, Jackson Henry and Fiza Valiola. Um, if you haven't listened to Observing Fullerton, you know what to do next. Subscribe and listen to all their past episodes. As part of the Fullerton Observer, uh, the podcast team, Arujan Veed, Arian Meza, Bianca Bravo, and our own Jackson Henry, keep you informed about the, uh, the Fullerton community with their podcast. So give them a listen. They've got a great show. Thanks. Talk to you soon.